We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy-to-prepare food. Order today, 888-457-3453, 888-457-3453, or go online at preparewithcr.com. That's preparewithcr.com. Build your emergency food supply for only $99. Limit two units per caller, 888-457-3453, or online at preparewithcr.com. That's 888-457-3453, or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Where we love to know what you think about what we think. So here's how you can let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, Mike Woody's going to take us to the movies. We've also got a bit of an announcement to make that you want to stay tuned for later on in this hour as well. But I want to begin with what continues to be a dominant story today, and that is Trump and Russia. And for those of you that don't know why this is such big news, I want to share with you a piece I posted on our Facebook wall earlier today from the Washington Examiner. And this is uh, one, of the, uh, one of the larger conservative websites on the web, and, and this is their editorial today. So this is from their team of, of, of people. And it's headline, Trump alone can clear suspicion over Russia. So for those of you that don't know why this is a big deal to some, and, and when I say uh, big deal to some, I'm not talking about anti-Trump zealots on the other side that are just going to try to undermine everything he does because that's the, the way the political game is played. 
and we have them on our side too. I mean, if Barack Obama four or five years ago had had a had a, a sincere born again Christian conversion and decided that he wanted limited government and began rolling it back, there are still some people on our own side who would tell you why that wasn't true. It's all Marxism. It's fake, et cetera, et cetera. It's just it's the way the game is played. That's why you have to know what's fake news and what is not. But these are these are people that want Trump to succeed. They write, President-elect Trump was correct to criticize the website BuzzFeed for violating journalistic standards and publishing an unverified, salacious, and at times provably false memo this week. But he goes further and seems to chastise anyone who asks about his view of or ties to Russia. While some charges against Trump relating to Russia have been proven bogus, others are plausible enough to have piqued the interest of intelligence agencies, law enforcement, and even some Republican senators. Trump and his team cannot wave all questions away as speculation and unverifiable. Those are the arguments a defendant makes in a court of law, and they do not remove the cloud of suspicion in the court of public opinion. Trump needs to do more because at the moment it's hard to shake an uneasiness about Trump and Russia. He has lost the benefit of the doubt on this matter. He and his allies, in telling us to disregard various allegations, are asking us to ignore too many bits of corroborating circumstantial evidence that suggests an unseemly intimacy between Trump and Vladimir Putin's corrupt regime. Exhibit A, and that's what I like about this piece. There's, like, evidence. Exhibit A is Trump's disinclination to criticize or confront Putin's Russia over the country's hacking of American politicians and apparent efforts to destabilize our democracy. Fondness for Russia and admiration of Putin is arguably Trump's most consistent position. And the charge of Russian election interference is a matter of consensus held with high confidence among the intelligence community. Trump nonetheless spent more than a month avoiding the topic and, and waving aside questions, as if he were afraid of criticizing Putin. To his credit, Trump said plainly on Wednesday at last that he believed Trump that he believed Russia was behind the hacking, and he said aloud that the hack was bad. Good for him. But even then, the president-elect was evasive, veering off to discuss Democrats' poor cybersecurity and China's OPM hack, as if trying to shift as much blame as possible away from Russia. Exhibit B was his campaign manager, Paul Manafort. Picking Manafort, a literal foreign agent who has worked for the Kremlin and other dictatorial regimes, was an early misdeed by Trump that today gives credence to any Russia charges flung his way. Trump fired Manafort when Manafort's secret payments from Russia-backed operatives in the Ukraine became too politically poisonous. But Manafort never really left. After the election, he advised Trump on cabinet picks. If Trump wants to clear up concern about Russia's influence in his campaign, hiring an agent of Putin to run his campaign and help to staff his administration is probably not the way to do it. Manafort was likely behind Exhibit C, the removal from the Republican platform of language calling on the U.S. to arm Ukraine, quote, with lethal defensive weapons, unquote, against Russian invaders. The Trump campaign quietly and unilaterally spiked this language just before last July's convention. How to help Ukraine resist Russian aggression is debatable, but the Trump campaign didn't allow such a debate, and Trump has never provided an account for this change to the platform. The president-elect can set this straight by clearly standing up for Ukraine and pledging whatever support the besieged country needs. Exhibit D is the odd closeness to Russia of some of his picks. Mike Flynn, 
Trump's choice for national security advisor, has in the past year changed his rhetoric and become a consistent Putin apologist. Flynn has taken money from the regime via the state-owned television station RT. That's Russia Today. Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State designate, also has complicating entanglements with Russia. Tillerson has done a good job in his hearings of showing toughness towards Russia. He owed the Senate this candor and toughness. Now Trump and Flynn do, too. And Trump's own odd behavior is Exhibit E. He spent weeks denigrating the intelligence community. Separately, he rebutted allegations about his coziness, coziness with Russia with a tweet beginning with the words, quote, Russia just said, unquote. Trump also has said he has had, quote, no deals, no loans, no nothing, unquote, in Russia. This is an overstatement. He held a beauty pageant there, and we know he's tried to make real estate deals there in the past. Also, we would know more about where he has business dealings and loans if he allowed modern political norms or if he followed modern political norms and disclosed his tax returns. Waving away allegations about his ties to Russia by calling them unverified is inadequate. Before taking office, Trump owes it to the public to clear the air. He can do this by laying out real consequences for Russian hacking and meddling, promising real aid to Ukraine, distancing himself from Manafort, and shooting straighter on his taxes and his business entanglements. If the public and the press are suspicious of Trump's stance on Russia, it's because of Trump's own doing, and he needs to fix this. Again, that was the lead editorial today at the conservative-leaning Washington Examiner. Your thoughts on this, and I've got this up on our Facebook wall if you want to share it or read it for yourself. Your thoughts on this, Todd? Well, the best case scenario is that Trump has a lot of irons in the fire in this because this is the art of the deal. You, you, you're always working angles, and we won't really know what the real game is until he's in uh, the White House but there's a worst case scenario, and that is akin to uh, Trump, um, Trump University, to the uh, contractors who have uh, complained that they've been uh, stiffed in very projects. Donald Trump, that he is not, he will get way too far. His reach will exceed his grasp. And it, you know, contractors get uh, burned. Trump University realize we're affected. But once you're playing risk, global politics, the messes might be way too big to clean up again the, the, what's the game uh, when we were kids steve uh, would you like to play a game the movie the th global thermonuclear war i mean he's is he pressing just too many buttons that he cannot see the consequences of i don't know those are good questions kim what do you think it's an excellent article i mean like you said i like how they laid it out here are the things that we're concerned with and clearly he has the capability to answer those um concerns um he needs to move forward with with transparency and integrity. And I'm wondering, Steve, what do you see as the worst case scenario for this bromance that you call it? Other you, than undermining NATO and, you know, I mean. The, the, there's a couple of things that are, that are potentially bad, case, bad worst case scenarios here. Mm -hmm. uh, one is that um, he just is this intellectually naive about Vladimir Putin. And because uh, Trump has authoritarian leanings, think this guy, it, it's similar to what we said in the 30s about Mussolini. Yeah, well, he's an authoritarian fascist, but he makes the trains run on time, right? And that he just has this shallow, cursory view uh, of the world because at times Trump does 
put off this vibe that he's that one uncle you have that he thinks because he watches the crawler on his favorite cable news network all day long that he knows everything and he can't be challenged on every on anything because you know he saw the head and he read the headlines and he skimmed the headlines so he thinks he read the whole article and he knows everything he does put off a vibe like that at times and and so that's one of the worst case scenarios that uh, he's just that ill-informed about what what we're really dealing with here um and if that's the case, that's where you could see guys like Rex Tillerson come in and take advantage of that, frankly. Well, you know, Donald, you don't worry about that. You, know, you go out there and attack Vanity Fair and, you know, we'll get together and we'll handle this matter with Russia. We, we, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll take this off your plate. And that's where he becomes essentially the character that Alec Baldwin is playing him as on Saturday Night Live. You know, where he's this bull in a china shop who's really just sort of a, though, a, a patsy for more insidious interests. That is one of the worst case scenarios that are out there. Another worst-case scenario is that this is a guy that's made questionable moral decisions in his life, and the Russians have evidence of him making more of them that would be embarrassing now that he's the president. But, but there is one way to dispel these worst-case scenarios, and that is to take some of the actions the Washington Examiner suggested. You're listening to Steve Dace. We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to start one. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. One follow-up on this. Since you asked me a really loaded question there, I was not anticipating. Um, One of the things we often said about Obama in his second term is that when you double down on things that clearly don't work, you know, we had all these conspiracy theories about Obama, and I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from people, he's never going to leave, he'll declare martial law, whatever, okay. But not everybody who buys into this stuff are Alex Jones, you know, stoolie pigeons, you know, are are, are nitwits, are the nitwitted crowd. Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, and what do I mean by a nitwit? Uh, the guy in Indiana last year during that primary who went up to Ted Cruz, go yeah, that guy, okay? I mean, he's got the IQ, of se- he's got a 70 IQ, maybe. That's what I'm talking about. But not everybody, I-, I know really smart people who love their country who believe conspiracy theories about Obama. Why? Whenever you double down on things that people have the common sense to see do not work, and you just continue to, to, to do what has failed. Whenever you do this, people cease analyzing you strictly on the basis of your actions. And they transition to analyzing and assessing you on your motivations. Because it's hard for us to understand why people would just continue to suck. Why, 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 why continue to be dumb? Right, I, and I, it's again when you watch your favorite sports team. We've got five. <clears throat> pardon me. We got five linemen on the line of scrimmage. They've got eight guys on the other side trying to stop us. Why would we run the ball at them, anticipating five guys could block eight? I'm not a moron. I can count. One, two, three, four. Left tackle, left guard, center, right tackle, right guard. That's five guys, guys. Five guys against eight. And if they had eight guys on the line of scrimmage, guess what they don't have behind the line of scrimmage? 
a lot of guys. So why don't we throw it against that? Why would we just keep running the ball against that front when the math doesn't work? Right? You're, we're all sports fans. Don't we? Why? And the question we're asking is not how come, or, or we're not asking what or where or how. We're asking why. We're questioning the motivations of the guy representing our side. That has gone on with Obama in spades. Why would we continue to do what has led to 95 million Americans out of work? Why would we continue to do that which has led to more people on food stamps than the total population of Spain? Why would we continue to befriend the Muslim Brotherhood? Why would we continue to not call radical Islam what it is? Why? Now, as someone that's not a conspiracy conspiracy theorist by nature, because I used to be and then found out that gives human nature way too much credit— my pat answer is that and there are conspiracies at times. It's not like there's, this has been a conspiracy-less world. But I think a lot of times that's low-lying fruit as well. A, a lot of times what we think is conspiracy is worldview. I can't rise above my own worldview. You're asking Barack Obama to do what goes against his own hard wiring. He sees the world through a Marxist lens, so he will then behave in a Marxist fashion. And since Marxism is contrary to human nature and how the world actually works, it cannot do anything but fail. But, but since that is the sort of critical analysis that is missing from most of our body politic today, worldview is almost never discussed. So we go right to motivations. Right to motivations. And that's where the, and that's where the suspicion comes. Why would you do what fails? This is starting to happen, and maybe it already is, frankly, with Trump and Russia. There is literally, at least in Obama's case, pardon me again, at least in Obama's case, he has a political, a political motivation to continue to defend the indefensible because he's defending his essence. He's a historical crusader. He, he want, he, he needs Marxism, progressive statism. He needs it to be true, guys. He's a true believer. Yes, Mm -hmm. he is out. He's, he is out to proselytize. So, so he has at least some political motivation for not giving in on things that have proven to fail. On this front, there is literally nothing to politically gain from this for Trump that I can conceive of. Nothing. So why keep the narrative? And that's what causes suspicion. Right. That is what causes the suspicion. What is the political incentive, first of all, for a guy that wants everybody to think he's an alpha male who dominates a room? What is the... What is, what is the political motivation to be Vladimir Putin's fanboy? What's the motivation to be his wingman? I mean, wouldn't your, wouldn't your political motivation be, I'm the guy that's going to make him say uncle in Russian. We're going to find out how, what surrender looks like in Cyrillic. Okay? That's how I roll. That's because that's how he's treated everybody else. We have one real rival on the global stage. That's China. He's merciless in his messaging to China. We're taking him down. And we've seen him do this with his political opponents in his own party and in the other one. Who have we not seen him do it with? Russia. Why? It doesn't make any sense. The average ham and egg at home is like, I don't need to be I don't need to be a part of Joy Reid on MSNBC's email club to think something ain't right about this. One of these things is not like the other. He is taking, he is exhausting political capital. 
that many of you listening to the sound of my voice right now supported him, hoping he would use for you over the next four years. He is, he is wasting political capital on evasiveness, regardless of the motivations. He is wasting political capital on Russia that he can't re-spend later on. To what, to what end? It just it doesn't make any lucid sense. So there's, to me, you tell me if I'm wrong, I see there's only two possible motivations here. One is the worst case scenarios I articulate I articulated in the last segment. The other is the guy just has such a, 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 a visceral disdain for admitting he's wrong on anything. That he's just, and we all know guys like this, they will just argue every point, even after it's clear they've lost it, because the ego won't allow them to say, ah, I was wrong on that, I blew that. We've all seen this aspect of the male persona. I don't know that there's an in-between one of those two things, Todd. I think he just wants, wants to get this guy in a room and size him up, just once. I think that's what he's aiming at. I don't think it's much more. That's art of the deal. See where that goes. He's just got some kind of fetish about it. I, I, that, that, that does not make as much sense as anything. This is uh, no, Donald it, Trump. It it, it's Donald it, Trump. It did for a while, but you're at the point now. He is. They they are expending political capital on this. Valuable political capital. Valuable. I don't think our memory's that long. <clears throat> I think I think someone has got to say. Oh, I think that it is. I, I think that it is on something because the political capital they're spending on this is, is why the story's alive. They're the ones keeping the memory. They're the ones flooding the memory banks because of the capital they're wasting on. I wonder this. what the payoff is. That's what I'm waiting for. Why do this? They have taken what should have been a non-story and turned it into one. You're listening to Steve Dace. <laughs> A declaration of dependence on the laws of nature and nature's God. This is Steve Dace. And we're back here on the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Still to come, the Dace Group Roundtable, but right now we are joined by Mike Woody here to take us to the movies. Michael, Happy New Year to you again. And the same to you. So we've got uh, several movies to get caught up on. Uh, well, we've we'll, got more than several. We'll get to as many as we can. Where would you like to start? Let's let's just go through them all real quick and just should you see it, should you not see it. Fences, the Denzel Washington uh, film. Now, my understanding, this is based on a Broadway play that he has written or directed or something. Uh, right? He has he directed it on Broadway. He started it on Broadway, and he and Viola Davis, I believe, both won Tony Awards for it. And it's about what? It is about a former Negro League player. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't make the majors, and his life has not turned out the way he wanted it to. He has a couple of kids, grown or almost grown kids, and it's just its a character study of this man who in many ways is flawed and in many ways is not, and it feels like a play. It, they don't do a good job of expanding it from what you would have seen on Broadway, but it is such a powerful story, and every single person in the film 
gives the performance of their career. I, I read another account of this movie that described it as not a great movie, but the best acted film of the year. Yes. Would you Absolutely. agree with that? Absolutely. From top to Every single person in the movie is that good. Because that was my view of, the, of everybody was celebrating The Revenant at this time last year. I didn't like the movie at all. It was okay. I li- but I absolutely was enthralled by every scene Tom Hardy was in. I mean, I just and thought DiCaprio he was incredible. did a good job. Uh, being his own stunt double? Well, he got mauled by that bear. Or raped. We don't know. Stop. All right, so how many mushrooms? <laughs> you and I had that argument all last year. We need to do it again. You how know many what? Mushroom I'm going to give it four stars just for the acting alone. And it is a good story. It's just right. sometimes tough to watch. Uh, what about uh, any? Th- you take your teenagers to this strictly for adults? Uh, I, I think I would leave it for adults. I think the the kids would probably be bored more than anything else. All right. So four mushroom clouds for fences, right. which what he says is spectacularly acted. What's next? Jackie. Natalie Portman takes on the role of the former first lady. Uh, essentially, this looks at the period from the assassination to the funeral. So it's a very tight period of time. So we're not going into the Onassis years, the later no, years. This nope. is just the immediate aftermath. It's just of the immediate the aftermath. Okay. What she had to deal with, you know, the infighting, and you can't do this. What What do you mean you're going to walk on the street? You can't do it. Natalie Portman is my odds-on favorite for best actress of the year. She is. She disappears into this character. All right, tell us because, I mean, this is one of Hollywood's favorite presidencies, right? So. It, tell us what comes up in this we, that most Americans don't think they already – that most Americans don't already know. I think like if you're of the generation that this movie is, is for, obviously. I think it tells you a lot of things. That I didn't know a lot of these things. I mean, the fights that she had to have just over the arrangements of the funeral and how this whole thing was going to play out. The, you know, the, the Johnson family trying to get their, their piece in. It's really good. Now, I will warn you, especially you – it is an independent film, and at times feels like an independent film. You mean to tell me Deliberate? it's slow? No, I didn't say it was slow, but okay. it just—it's a little quirky. Quirky. But she is great. All right, how many mushroom clouds? Three and a half. So, in other words, it's not a great movie. Not a great movie. But she's great. But it does have a great performance. All right, because if if you're talking about her winning Best Actress, and it's only three and a half, I mean that's what you would give a summer popcorn movie that you liked. Yeah. So it's really not that good. It's or a winter perf- popcorn movie, which we got coming next. So it's really not that good. You just liked her performance. She was great. All right. What's next? Passengers. Have you seen this? I have not seen this. This is uh, I'm a big Chris Pratt guy, though, but I've not seen this. And Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence from They're, The Hunger Games. It's, it's, it's a fun sci-fi popcorn film, which we don't usually get this time of year. And they didn't really market it as a popcorn film. No, they they're, kinda, mar- they're marketing it more as a romance. Yeah. As and, sort of Adam and, and Eve of in a, space, basically. Yeah, and kind of an important film. It's, it's not an important film, but it is fun. It's, uh, Chris Pratt does a nice job. They do bring up some nice ethical issues. I mean, th- there's hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people, so are, are, on is, this spaceship. Are going they sent here to, to essentially save humanity or just go colonize another planet? They are going to go colonize another planet. So humanity's planet because, not at risk in any way? Um, I believe that humanity is in risk, okay. and that is why they are sending these people okay. off. Right. Something happens, and these two people awaken from their uh, hyper-sleep, whatever it is, and it's interesting to see how and why that happened. I'm nervous because it has Andy Garcia in it. And you have you know because we're going on year number fifteen that you and I have been doing this, that Andy Garcia is the cinematic mark of death. <laughs> Every it, it not, not I think it's not been since nineteen eighty eight he has been in a movie that is actually good, right? So his, I'm going to have to look back on his, that. One. His mere appearance in a film is is cancerous. I think you will like this movie. 
Okay. I really do. How many mushroom clouds? It's a, are three, it's a three and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. So that's your that's your, kind of your baseline decent yeah. popcorn movie yeah. rating. All right, we'll come back more with Mike Woody at the movies here, getting you caught up on what's new out at cinemas, particularly if you want to get out and get away from the cold uh, over the weekend. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Selling out isn't a virtue. This is Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show. Mike Woody is here taking us to the movies. Just to recap where we are at so far. Mike says fences. I'm trying to see if you remember. I remember. Mike says fences. You know what it is? Since you're sitting in another spot now, I can actually look at you. You're isn't it for- great? You're forcing me to pay attention to when you sit next to me, and I can just look the other way. So I'm actually more engaged. <laughs> uh, but uh, you have you have uh, Fences with Denzel Washington. Yes. Good movie, but the acting rises above the material, right? Way above. So you give it four mushroom clouds. Yes. Uh, Jackie with Natalie Portman. Similar to Fences. You don't think the movie's as good, but her performance is also Oscar-worthy, right? You were paying attention. And this is simply about the immediate aftermath of the, of the assassination yes. of John F. Kennedy, her former husband. And then we talked about Passengers, which was expected to be a major Christmas time hit, has turned out not to be, right. with maybe the two most bankable under 40 stars in America right now, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. And you think it's because they mismarketed the film? I think so. That you think they should have marketed it as more of a popcorn movie than some sort of romantic yes. uh, you know, movie with a purpose. Right. I think it's because they put Andy Garcia in the film. It was doomed from that point Lawrence forward. Lawrence Fishburne's in it, too. He always rises. But he's got it. But, the, but there is a, <laughs> Listen, Lawrence Fishburne can make any movie better, but he can't rise above the Andy Garcia factor that has been documented <laughs> oh, so in on Hollywood the, on the scale. since at least 1990. <laughs> yes, you cannot overcome the Andy Garcia factor. All right, what is next? Lion. L-I-O-N. Dev Patel. It is the story of a young Indian boy who he and is. Is this a Bollywood film similar to? It is not a Bollywood. No one breaks into song. Nobody, okay, yeah. Because what was the movie they had that won best best uh, film a few years ago? Uh, yes. Slumdog Millionaire, which is a great movie, yeah. right? But so it's right. not. It's not just because as an Indian actor, it's not a Bollywood film, right? Okay, all right. It is about a young Indian boy. He and his brother are literally on the streets stealing, so they can trade whatever they steal for food to keep their family alive um the the older brother goes away uh, one night and the the younger brother wakes up and thinks that he's gone and he's never coming back so he gets on this train because he thinks that's where his brother might be the train is locked he can't get off of the train the next day the train leaves the station and takes him literally hundreds of miles away from his home never gets back doesn't know what happened to his brother we flash forward to him as an adult in college, and he just basically has this crisis of, I've got to find out what happened. I've got to find out. So he literally goes on Google Maps, and he tries to figure out exactly where he's from and does and does return. It is a absolutely great film. It is so emotional, and Dev Patel is great. Nicole Kidman plays his... Plays and his Nicole Kidman mother. is the is the it, Nicole Kidman could because you know I'm a fan, so to speak, <laughs> could potentially has she has the potential to overcome an Andy Garcia factor. I'm, I, I'm, wow, that's doubtful, but I wouldn't immediately say she could. She is she is doomed by the presence of Andy so Garcia on, had, on set. If they had cast her in Godfather Three, better film, better film, 
I don't think there's any Todd. Any you want to question me on this? I'm kind of lost. I, I like Andy Garcia. <laughs> oh boy, Todd's like I have no idea what they're talking about. And you made it through the entire week, but now you're fired. <laughs> so uh, is this best picture material? Um, it, it could be. It's going to be an outside shot, but it could be. It's a four and a half mushroom cloud easy. Four and a half mushroom cloud yeah. easy. All right. Is it showing everywhere? Yeah. So it is out everywhere. Yeah. All right, so what's next? Hidden Figures, let's which do I think you've let's seen. Let's go there next, because it's the number one movie in America now. I did go and see it last weekend. Amy and I went and saw it. Yes. Crowd-pleasing film. Three black women who basically... Now, before we get story. into the film, I need you to settle a debate. Uh-oh. All right? Are these films, when they open up, Nate, like Patriot Day this weekend, for example, right. or Silence will come here to Des Moines, I think it's next weekend or the weekend after. Yeah. Are these films, when they open, when they open wide in January... Are they considered 2017 movies? Or when they have the limited release and then open wide, that's are they considered they 2016? The, that's why they have the limited release. Okay, because when I put together like my own list, because I'm, I'm behind the, the artsy movies from you, right? Yeah. So when I eventually put together my list of what I thought were the best films of 2016, yeah. which by the time they all come out on, on, on demand will probably not be until April of this year, uh, I need to know in my mind what is 2016 and what is 2017. Pretty much everything you've seen right now is still okay, 2016. Okay, so Hidden Figures would be a 2016. It is absolutely. It is absolutely one of the best movies I've seen in the last year. Sue loved it. I didn't I wanted it to be more serious. There's a lot of humor in it, which is fine. I mean, that's kind of a crowd-pleasing. I think uh, maybe that's, my I, expectations I were I think that's bad actually why in. it works. I I think that's why it works. And and here's why. It's because we have been inundated with this subject matter in the la- in recent years. Yes. But but from a nihilistic negative, yes. uh there's no healing, there's no hope. Um, and and I and I think that we needed someone to come in and throw a change up. The movie does not shy away from no, from the oppression of all. the time. It does right. not shy away from that. But it also it also doesn't leave you thinking we're just the worst people ever when you walk out. White man bad. Yeah, yeah the the people that oh that deserve to get theirs in the end do get theirs. Justice is served yes. in the end. But but I think that is a welcome change. From the from the Black Lives Mattering of Hollywood, the last several years that we have seen, which I think, and and I can, and I'm, and this is where I'm approaching it from a white guy, I who 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 actually would be who his worldview is sympathetic to what they're trying to communicate, but when you communicate it in this way, you have a tendency to create a backlash against you the other way around. Yes. And I think that this does a really good job of pointing out the systemic racism of it at, the, at the time, but it puts the blame on exactly who's to blame for it. You don't walk out of there thinking, hey, my ancestors came here from Sicily, you know, long before any of this stuff even happened. I'm somehow guilty of this. I, don't, I think it does a great job. Of it not does doing a nice that. job of delivering the message without beating it, yes. beating it over your head. I think I, I, I and I love Costner's character. Because yeah. to me, the character that Kevin Costner plays is really how cultures change on debates like this. Yes. Meaning that he doesn't have a dog in the fight either way. He, didn't care. he just he does. All I know is you're the best people to do the damn job. I've got whatever, a job to and, do, and, and whatever, you're going to help. Whatever me. rules we have in place to stop you from doing so are just silly to me. So let's. That's actually how things end it's up. It's not changing. about affirmative action. That's it's right. about excellence. Yes. It's a, yes, I need you. So th- so whatever these stupid you know traditions, separate but equal crap we have, just ain't gonna. I'm not going to be able to get the job done. Right. That's often how things work 
work. I'd highly recommend it. Kids of all ages can go to and this. And again, it's a crowd-pleasing film. I yes. mean, at the end of the film, you walk out happy. I, I would urge you to take, you know, I mean, I wouldn't take my 6-year-old to it, but i take my 10, 11, 12 teenager to it. I would highly recommend it. It would get five mushroom clouds for me. I thought it was spectacular. I'm going to give it three and a half. Uh, you're way off. It's much better than that. It is much better than that. All right, quickly, what's on demand? Because we have to go. Okay, uh, you've got Deepwater Horizon. Pretty good. It's better than pretty good. You've got The Accountant. Haven't seen it yet. Birth of a Nation, okay. which is that black film. Yep. Uh, and then Homeland Season 5, so you can catch up for this week. Mike, see you next week. Six. More in a moment. Surrender isn't a strategy. This is Steve Dace. All right, I'm about about to do what everybody says cannot be done. I'm going to prove to you that God exists in the next five minutes. And I'm dead serious about this. That's cool. So if, if Aaron were here, we'd be doing a sign of the apocalypse, but he is not. So I'm going to briefly sub in, if I could, just for the next few moments. You guys ever heard of Pierce College in Pulliam, Washington? So in the last couple of years, the students there have successfully, the little social justice warrior snowflakes, have successfully demanded all gender bathrooms on campus to accommodate all 50-some-odd accepted genders via Facebook. Smells like victory for them, Steve. Until this week. They are now unhappy with the new all-gender bathrooms. Because they have too high of water pressure and hand dryers instead of paper towels. And they are demanding that this be changed, including the, ins- the inclusion of paper towels, under Title IX. That is the federal government's gender equity statute. So after first declaring no gender... They then declare they want gender equity over all the gen- with, among the genders they just eliminated. And the symbol of their equity, the bane of their existence, the source of their demand, is paper towels. Why do they hate Mother Earth so much? Now, some of you may ask, Steve, how does this, how, how, what does this have to do? With proving that God exists. I will answer that question now. Only a long-suffering, benevolent creator, as described in the Bible, would permit a species this shallow and this stupid to remain at the top of his food chain for as long as we have. Natural selection would have ejected this gene pool long ago. Natural selection would have said, this habitat cannot sustain you as the alpha species. It cannot. It's just not, this is not a sustainable ecosystem. You'll bring us all down. Natural selection would have diminished us long ago. Only a God, long-suffering, eternally patient, 
who looks at us not as mere natural creations, but is made as made in him in his image, in need of redemption, salvation, would put up with this kind of suck. Listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we are back with Hour 2 here of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Of course, being this hour two of a Friday evening show, you know what that means. Indeed, it is time for the Dace Group Roundtable, our weekly look at the week that was, our own little homage. Tip of the cap to the late, great John McLaughlin, who inspired this meager attempt at a copycat. May God have mercy on his soul. No Aaron this week, so no Mr. Big Voice. I'll conduct this as more of a traditional roundtable. And filling in for Aaron this week, Shannon Joy, who is a talk show host out there in New York State that I know a lot of you had a chance to hear fill in for us over the Christmas break. So let's get started. Issue one from Russia with Love, the continuing saga of the Donald Trump-Russia bromance, blind spot, whatever it is that you want to call it. Now, this week, Trump did finally say over the last 48 hours that Russia did attempt to hack uh, into um, uh, our new cycle. I, I, I'm hesitant to say hack the election because I think a lot of people believe hack the election means they hacked voter machines or the results. But they clearly attempted to influence the results. The question is whether or not they were successful in doing so and, and to what varying degree. Trump finally did acknowledge that this week. He was actually briefed directly, we've ne- we now know, from FBI Director James Comey on that uh, questionable dossier from a former British intelligence agent that uh, BuzzFeed published. A lot of it uncorroborated, and BuzzFeed has been rightly blasted for this. However, it should also be noted that the BBC is reporting this particular British intelligence officer, who is the source for a lot of the information on this dossier that's uncorroborated, has been used as an FBI informant in the past, which is probably why James Comey drew the short end of the straw to walk over to Trump Tower and say, hey, they think they've got stuff about you enjoying water sports. Good luck to Mr. Comey. Uh, in your future employment endeavors after that, after missing, after casting that lot. But, but there's a great editorial. We talked about it last hour. The Washington Examiner, a conservative news, news site, I think has a phenomenal editorial up about this today, talking about this chain of events with Trump and Russia. And that ultimately it is only Trump who can put this to bed once and for all. Uh, and, and that really, if you look at the one thing that Trump has probably been the most consistent on, 
since his candidacy went from a vanity candidacy to a real one, and now as he sits on the doorstep of the presidency, is this sort of hesitancy to criticize Russia and this support for Vladimir Putin. So what do we make of all of this? Is there some kind of smoking gun out there? Is this just simply one wannabe authoritarian has a has a bro crush on another one? Is, is Putin manipulating Trump? Is Trump manu- manipulating Putin? Is this all much ado about nothing, an attempt to just undermine the incoming president-elect? What say you, Kim? Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, I look at this and I think, what is is this to divert attention away from um, the crappy candidate that was Hillary Rodham Clinton? Um, also, it diverts attention away from what it what is Obama's policy with regard to Russia. So I'm looking at it in a in a broader stroke. You know, the idea that we have um, Cold War Part Two going on, three thousand troops going over into Poland, eighty battle tanks, hundreds of armored vehicles. So I want to know, you know, where this is going from here. Um, how is, is uh, Trump going to go ahead and continue with this escalation? Um, or is he going to de-escalate? Shannon. Uh, the thing that stands out to me the most is that it really isn't just the rhetoric that we get from Trump. So we have the tweets, the bromance, uh, the rhetoric about how much you know he loves Putin, he loves Russia. But uh, there's a lot more to that, uh, I think, and we saw that during the primary uh, when he was uh, at the Republican convention. And, you know, I go back to the bizarre when they were going through and, and crafting the Republican platform. Uh, it was it was largely ignored by Donald Trump, giving us probably the most re- uh, conservative Republican platform we've had in many years. But there was one moment when, when Trump was very involved, uh, and that was with uh, his then chief of staff, Paul Manafort, who we know has a lot of connections to Russia, deep connections to Russia, uh, and also uh, Ukraine. And it was then that they they really uh, moved into policy, which uh, they they lightened the the rhetoric in the Republican platform regarding uh, the you know uh, calling out Putin for uh, moving in annexing uh, Crimea. They softened the language, and so that leads me to believe that. Uh, there's something larger there than just a bromance, and why that is, I don't know. Is it because of the debt burden that we don't know about, but there are rumors that uh, Donald Trump has uh, you know, large amounts of debt with Russian banks, or is it something deeper? Uh, you know, we know he spent some time in Russia uh, you know, prior to really you know, looking into becoming president. Uh, what happened when he was in Russia there? Uh, you know, there are a lot of questions. Is there a smoking gun? I wouldn't be surprised at all. You know, it's funny you mentioned the, the plat- that, that Shannon mentioned the platform, Todd, because we still don't know. No one's owned up to that. I mean, Reince Priebus, Trump people, they've all been asked about this. No one's owned up to who was responsible for altering the GOP platform when it comes to Russia. And it seems that a lot of this could be answered. I mean, for example, Trump now maintains he's never met Vladimir Putin, but there's audio out there of him telling talk show host Michael Savage that he has. So, I mean, a lot of this would be alleviated if he had, and and that's what the Washington Examiner pointed out earlier today, if he had released his tax returns, as most uh, presidential, as as every presidential candidate has in modern times. But but that only adds to the mystery. What do you think, Todd? My full stop concern with this is a national concern. Bromance or no bromance, and whether we're talking about the DNC or anything else, 
Are we addressing that specifically? As for whether they're hacking Democrats, Republicans, you know, I'm concerned about you know, wars breaking up because of something the Russians do. But in terms of the political aspect of this, this is how is this propaganda? Just because it's coming from the Russians, it's no different what, than what we're being fed from the DNC and the RNC on a regular uh, basis. This is strictly a security concern. As long as that is being addressed the bromance or the non-bromance issue is not we, we need him to be in the white house and seeing what he's going to do because getting the vapors we've heard him say build the wall then we retract on that we're getting too wrapped up in that right now is a non-starter to me what do you guys make of his attorney or i'm sorry his uh, secretary of defense nominee general mattis saying under oath yesterday in his confirmation hearing that russia is not a friend and that their goal is to break nato that clearly is a sharp departure from the sort of language we've seen from Vladimir Putin. What do you make of that, Kim? I'm not surprised that um, he would have a nominee um, that is different than what Donald Trump has been saying. So that doesn't surprise me at all. Why not? Because inconsistency is the is most the consistent thing that we, they have going for them. Um, I want to go back to what Shannon had said, that she agrees that there's probably a smoking gun. She, she wouldn't be surprised by that. And I am I am in the same camp because I think uh, now would not be the time to use it. I would wait until he was in power and I needed it. Yes. Shannon, you want to respond to that? Yeah, I agree with her. I, I thought a lot about this. If I were Putin putting, you know, if we were to put ourselves in his position, you're not going to come out with your best stuff during the the general election, right? They don't have power at that point. What you're going to want to do is try to put in the most compromised person that you can so that you can control them in future years when they actually do have power. So it would make sense to me uh, that uh, Putin and the Russians were probably looking at these two candidates, uh, both flawed, that they, he, most likely they have dirt on both of them. Who is the one, who is the candidate who is more compromised because we'll be more able to control them. So Again, to to reiterate what Kim was saying, I would not be surprised. And it's very disturbing to think that, uh, you know, one of these world powers, especially someone who is making major moves uh, regarding, um, you know, foreign policy and, you know, that, that a player like Russia could potentially have information on our commander in chief. Um, it's just, the, the, the repercussions of that are quite concerning to me. All right, exit question, Todd, I'll start with you so you get enough time. Because you guys, the gals here sort of skipped ahead. Do you believe there is some sort of smoking gun out there as it relates to Trump and Russia, I ask you? Not one that's any bigger than he faced already during the election, and he skated through that. Kim? Yes, absolutely. What about Todd's uh, qualifier that he added on, and he skated nothing, nothing beyond what we've already faced during the election, and he skated through that, as Todd said. You think this would be bigger or, or lesser? I, well, there's a lot of things we don't know. For example, we don't know all of his ties to Russia. We don't know what's in his um, income taxes. So I think there's there's potential. Shannon, quickly, your answer. Um, I think that even if there were a major smoking gun, the the Trump fans and the Trump train would not be derailed. They don't care what he does. The answer is, even if there is, there are so many zealots on both sides that I'm not sure it would really move anything. I think it would just create more rigor mortis. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. You lose 100% of the battles you refuse to fight. 
This is Steve Dace. This is the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network, filling in for our still vacationing producer, Aaron. Shannon Joy, talk show host in New York State. I know a lot of you had a chance to hear her fill in for us while we were off during the Christmas break. Let's get to issue two. The, the confirmation, confirmation hearings have begun. And uh, there's four that took center stage this this week. Uh, Jeff Sessions, where you just saw, I, I thought leftists just beclowned themselves. I, I mean, just beyond self-parody. Uh, you saw Rex Tillerson and you saw Marco Rubio uh, give him the Ted Cruz treatment. I mean, he really laid the hammer down uh, on Rex Tillerson. Uh, then you had General Mattis, who seemed to sort of skate through his testimony yesterday. Uh, I think you're going to see him get an overwhelming uh, amount of support on both sides. And then Ben Carson, who went off script, uh, kind of put people to sleep, and then said something really profound. In other words, <clears throat> Ben Carson, right, put people to sleep, went off script, and then every once in a while he woke up enough to say something that, made you, that reminded you, hey, I used to like this guy. Like when that he was asked what he would do for the LGBT community as Secretary of HUD, and he said nothing. Nothing, I'm not doing anything for one community that I wouldn't do for somebody else. Nobody gets any special help for me when I'm in charge. And since he's black, Democrats looked at him and said, well, snap, I guess there's, can't really call you a racist. Let's just move on to the next question on our checklist. And the dog and pony show continued. But your overall view of what we've seen from the confirmations and the hearings this week, Shannon, I'll start with you. All right. In one statement, I would say business as usual. So I, I watched a lot of the testimony, hour after hour of this of uh, the testimony. Much of it, uh, we know now, in direct contradiction of Trump's rhetoric. So uh, you know, it seems to me that Trump is a Twitter wielding Tasmanian devil type character, spouting off the the anti-establishment platitudes, engaging in Twitter wars with the media. Um, you know, a giant sparkling orange object that is distracting all of us from the bigger story that I think comes out of this week, which is that nothing has changed. Uh, from Elaine Chow, uh, the wife of Mitch McConnell, Secretary of Transportation, to Rex Tillerson, uh, who uh, failed, you know, is, you know, contradicting Donald Trump in a lot of his rhetoric. You have Ben Carson um, with a couple, you know, decent statements, but also saying things like he has no problem with affirmative action. He believes that uh, that government is extraordinarily important in housing and urban development. You have Jeff Sessions, who was probably the, the bright spot, um, but also, you know, admitting or saying that, you know, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. Um, you know, so it seems to me it is, you know, government, big government churns on like it always has with a lot of big crony capitalists and elites in Washington, D.C., despite the Trump rhetoric. So business as usual, usual in my, in, would be my one statement. All right. So uh, she just gave us a talking heads, Todd, uh, same as it ever was. What's your take? Well, I, I thought they'd go after, I mean, they didn't treat Sessions with kid gloves, but I thought starting off they test the waters and go after him a little harder because i mean crazy is what they do and i i figured they really wouldn't view it as a loss if it doesn't work out they don't take anybody down then they just move on to doing what needs to be 
uh, done uh, uh, legislatively. Um, I still think, uh, and we had this discussion a bit yesterday, I don't believe they're just going to go quietly. They're going to pick somebody. DeVos rings true to me that they're, uh, she might not be prepared for this. Really, truly, at least embarrass somebody. Undress some Republican and get points for that. So that's what I'm looking for. Other than that, I, in viewing Twitter, it's it seems like it's been pretty uh, vanilla and status quo, like Shannon said. DeVos is a losing battle. Can't win it. Uh, the right is too organized on the other side of the education debate. Um, in my view, to me, the one they should pick. Well, it depends on what their goal is, Todd. If the goal is to raise as much money from their fake grassroots, then DeVos is a good fight to pick, right? Because she's anti-educrat to some degree. Not maybe to the degree we would like, but to some, to more than they would certainly prefer. That's true, okay? So if the goal is just to raise a bunch of fake money, then you're right. And she's their Jill Stein recount. You're right. She's the right straw man. Won't win, but it'll you know, create a lot of nice, cool press releases and email alerts. Uh, if the goal is to get a scalp, if the goal is to make the, pres- the, the new president-elect bleed, Tillerson's your guy, especially because you've got people in the other party, like Graham, but particularly McCain and Rubio. and Rubio, leading, giving you political cover to go after him on a credibility level, not just he's a climate ch- change denier. But Kim, your view of, the, uh, of what we've seen so far this week? I think what, one of the things that's interesting is that the Republicans actually... Um, was ahead of the game as far as um, Jeff Sessions, right? I think that they were able to get out ahead of the the narrative that he was some racist just because he is a son of the South. And that's the name that... um, Using his middle name, Beauregard, in their messaging, for example. That's why Ken Blackwell came out ahead. And he's the one that that coined that term, son of the South, automatically means you're racist. So they got out ahead of it. So I thought that was good. Um, but then again, Sessions was disappointing with regard to the whole law of the land idea. And, oh, uh, yeah, that's unconstitutional, but what are we going to do about it, right? So, um, and then Tillerson, of course, I think you're right. He's the, he's the one that I would assume they would go after. They do have Rubio, um, but, of course, at the end of the day, it's, you know, new boss, same as the old boss. So They're going to vote for him. So, so, Todd, both the ladies here think this is sort of uh, business as usual. It sounds like you guys kind of both agree with me that, by and large, this is better than what you would have gotten with Hillary Clinton. But if you were looking for something, a dramatic departure with a couple of exceptions, my view is you got high-energy Jeb's cabinet. You guys, you seem to agree with that? I agree. Absolutely. Todd, your thoughts? Yeah, and and people appear to be fine. I wanted to ask you a question. You wrote a piece about... uh, uh, sessions uh, this week for conservative review, and it, there's hardly been anybody saying anything about his answers on abortion and marriage. Steve, Steve what kind of reaction are you getting to the column? Are people like, I don't care? It, Let me tell you the truth. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's been what the, some of the least amount of reaction to a column I have written in the last year and a half. Oh, crickets. Crickets. And it's and I think it, heads I, in the sand. Then. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I maybe not heads in the sand as much as the. It's what we've talked about a few days ago here on the show, uh, guys, that for all the talk, I hate these political parties, I hate them, I can't stand them, we are, we are, we, we are as blinded by the political party duopoly as I can remember in my career right at this moment, with, 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 without a justifiable reason. I mean, I, I think we were more blinded to it in the Bush years, but there was a justifiable reason for many of us blinded to it in that, hey, there's an international war on terrorism going on, and the other side you know, wants us to speak Arabic, so... Swallow all your anti-Bush big government bile because America's at stake. We don't really have that happening right now. We don't really have a valid excuse, really. So it's, it's really just a cult of personality versus a, a cult of a political party. 
And I think most people feel right now, for various reasons, they've got to choose which of these two camps they're in. And anything that goes, I mean, you look at the Sessions thing, his answers were complaining about them. Democrats could have decimated him with those answers. But they just wanted to check the box of going down their, their, their AstroTurf, you know, Masterpiece Theater sideshow. Okay, thank you for that remark. Here's my next gotcha question because we're rolling tape and I just want to, I need to get, Kamala Harris and, and Cory Booker need to get themselves on tape asking you these things for their 2020 run. Meaning they're not having a serious debate on the other side either. They're just checking the duopoly box. I just think there's a lot of that going on. Exit question. Will Tillerson get confirmed, Kim? Yes. Todd? Yes. Shannon? Yes. No doubts at all. No. Nobody has any doubts at all. I don't think anyone has the will right now to go. I think right now we're just in a, in a, a tricky moment where, you know, no one wants to go up against Trump. No, Even people um, like myself who have questions about him, I didn't support him in the election. Yep. Uh, you don't want to come out right now at the very beginning of his in- administration. And I, so I think a lot of people are holding back. Well, you, you know what? We're up against the break. But you know what? The answer is you're all right. Yes, he will be confirmed. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Following the truth, no matter where it leads, the Steve Dace Show. Back here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to issue three. The Palestinian president, a Jerusalem Post poll released this week, found 65% of Israelis believe Barack Obama to be a pro-Palestinian U.S. president. 79% believe Donald Trump to be pro-Israel. In fact, listen to this, there is a 55 55 point gap between those Israelis who think Obama favors them compared to those who believe he favors the Palestinians, which is the the widest gap ever recorded in a Jerusalem Post poll. What does this mean? I ask you, Todd. Well, if stereotypical thinking and entrenched um, dogma is going to exist anywhere, it's going to exist here. I mean, we, we, we're talking... A, about all the same two-state solutions, uh, just just roll tape. The, the, this is there any original thinking to be had on this issue at all? Any from either side? I mean, you you just have got to go to your camps, fold up your arms, and say, "I'm not moving." This is so dull and boring. Somebody step up and do something different, Shannon. Um, I think this is just more of the same from uh, President Obama and the progressives. Uh, there has been a concerted effort to, uh, you know, you hold up the Palestinians as a an oppressed group, uh, refugee status, and uh, you know this is you know his outgoing statement. I don't think this is anything new. I am quite frankly, looking forward to a, a Trump administration where hopefully uh, we can shake things up a bit, come up with some new and unique ideas, reaffirm our commitment to Israel, and say the hard truths that need to be said about uh, the Palestinians and uh, what their true goals are, um, putting that out in the light of day. So hopefully the the, the bold and uh, 
you know, bull in a China in the China shop type rhetoric from Donald Trump will carry over into this discussion about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Kim, this one is um, a little tricky. Again, I'm back to the inconsistency. Do you remember when he was campaigning and he went in front of, um, I think it was a group of New York um, Jews and said, you know, APAC. hey. Yeah. You got to be ready to negotiate, right? Yeah. I mean, you got to be willing to kind of give a little bit. Maybe Israel about- doesn't really want peace, is it, what he said. Right. Yeah. And then, but then again, you have people watching what Obama and Kerry has done, and then they go, well, this is my reaction against Obama and Kerry. Um, I'm going to have to wait and see what he actually ends up doing with this. Like I just said, it's very inconsistent. What should he do? Shannon, I'll start with you. Quickly, what should he do? What should Trump do? Yeah, what should he do? In, well, I think, first of all, you have to set the narrative. As, the, as Commander-in-Chief, he has the bully pulpit, he has uh, access to Twitter, and he wields it. And so you have to tell the American people a story, the story, the true story about the history uh, you know, of, of why there is conflict over you know, th- this region. And reset that, reset the narrative. He has the power to do it. Um, right now there has been a great deal of propaganda. As far as elementary schools and in colleges with the boycott, divest, sanction movement, that is the, the whole purpose is to create a narrative that puts the Palestinians in, in the category of victims. And so that whole narrative needs to be reset. That's what he needs to do first and then and then move from there. I think that's a brilliant point, Todd. What say you? I have a similar version of that. Demand an olive branch from the Palestinian side that shows that they are genuinely willing to negotiate. Even when they have been, air quotes, negotiating in the past, they never have. Steve, you've talked ad nauseum about how many deals that they've been offered that will give them exactly what they wanted they, they to. Just to, su- just to. And just to sum that up, the Palestinians going back to Clinton, uh, they have been offered everything short of extinction of the Jewish people, like everything else, and that's not good enough. So that needs to be pointed out. Say so we need to see something different. And until then, uh, this is where I am. I'm on this side. I'm willing. I'm all ears. I'm willing to listen. But show me something. I'll take a simple Trump statement. If you're going to move the embassy to Jerusalem, then you do it. Yes. Don't. Here's what we here. And just to follow Shannon's point, because I think she's right. You got it. It has to begin by resetting the narrative that they're perpetual victims. Don't make outlandish claims you're not going to follow through. Right. If you find out that it's not something you can do or it's worthy of doing and the ROI is not there, the backlash isn't worth it, fine. But then don't say you're going to do it until you've learned that information. All the world's not a Twitter account. All right. Exit question. Will Trump move the Israeli embassy to Jerusalem as promised in his first term? Shannon. Um, I say no. Um, I don't believe that he's going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. I think he's, uh, the the last report I saw. Okay, hold on. Got to get everybody else in. Kim, go. No. No. I'm going to say the answer is yes. Yes. At some point, I'm going to say the answer is yes. Just because I'm tired of saying no. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. that the world may know this is steve dace all right back here on the steve dace show powered by conservative review on the salem radio network this is the dace group roundtable your weekly look at the week that was filling in for our vacationing errand this week 
New York State Talk show host Shannon Joy. I know a lot of you had a chance to hear her fill in for us over Christmas, so she is back. As we get to issue four, Trump's first president-elect press conference. Look at the combative way that Trump handled the press in this first press conference as president-elect. It's the first time he has spoken to them in mass since the day after the election. And I'm, I'm just curious, is this an act the American people will enjoy for the next four years? Or does it cease being funny if Trump can't produce the desired results many are hoping for? Kim. Um, yes. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is how much how much of an extra rope will the entertainment... Because I do think the... Inter, just Listen, Obama's likability factor is why he got reelected, because it wasn't results, right? Mm-hmm. People decided, you know what? I'm, he went back out on the campaign trail four years ago. They were reminded why they liked him. They thought, oh, let's, I'm going to give him another shot, results notwithstanding. And then you saw by the time we got to the end of his second term, the public had turned against him. I do think the entertainment sham wow factor will, gives you a certain amount of rope, right? Yes. So maybe more rope than somebody who didn't bring that added extra element. But at some point, won't this be about results, not a perpetual um, you know, grandstanding? At some point, he's going to have to produce, won't he? He, he is going to have to produce. And, and I would you know, request that even though it is funny to hear BuzzFeed being called a pile of garbage. and some A of these, flailing pile of garbage. I mean, come yes. on. A little bit of a snicker went out on that one. and um, more, more than a snicker, uh, in fact, yes. <laughs> but, you know, I'm already tired of it. I want to operate on truth and integrity. I already want to be held to a well, higher standard. This is not the country for you, but continue. Go ahead. <laughs> a higher standard I'm asking for. You know when the Obamas had this little quick saying about, you know, when they go low, we go high. And, of course, then they call us all racist because we want to enforce the immigration law. But why can't we do that, actually, in fact, and have some integrity and transparency in the process, too? I don't know, Todd. Why can't we? What say you? What do you think? To me, this is all about the Democrats. If they can actually grow up or at least lie about growing up, and I include the press in that as well, and show a semblance of maturity that people after time that's how things will wear thin but if they're no matter how insane trump is if they're still insane then we're just doing what we've been doing all 2016 and he won you're describing a symbiotic relationship between a host and a parasite and and on a given day you don't know who's the windshield or the bug in that arrangement is that that's sort of what you're describing todd they need each other that's the america we live in yes that's it is a codependency that this media has not been trained to act in almost any other way for goodness sakes I, I watch almost every day a liberal like jake tapper on twitter chastising yes. other liberal media members about publishing fake news and telling them to delete their accounts almost like he's an adult trying to school the children it's like they're incapable of acting in another way and and we i think we and since trump is being rewarded for acting out like this they are almost the perfect foil shannon Yes, Steve, I I certainly think we're looking at a a codependent relationship here between Donald Trump and the media. And and the reason is because the American people want to show at this point. Uh, The culture has degraded to such a point where we don't trust anyone in Washington, D.C. And I think the American people are just looking to be entertained, uh, both on the right and the left. But I think we might be looking at a larger issue here. And what what I'm seeing emerge, and I don't know if I'm right about this, but it looks almost to me like a strategy uh, by the Trump team and also the Rhino Republican. 
Republicans in the House and the Senate. And I mentioned, uh, I referenced the Tasmanian devil earlier in, in the program. Uh, you know, the, this wild Trump who is lashing out at everyone, j distracting all of us. It's like he goes out there and puts on a, a show. The media picks up on it. We all focus on that. And meanwhile, what we're seeing, it's a, almost like a sleight of hand. On the, on the other side, uh, Washington, D.C. is churning along. It is much of the same. And so I have a feeling this might be a strategy they employ for the next four years. So what Shannon's describing, guys, is a, is a distraction to avoid accountability on the issues. I think even if it's not purposeful, there is certainly the danger of that being the, the effect, Todd. Don't you think so? Yeah, it's, we've been talking about this for months. It's intentional. It, the default is distraction. And it's why Donald Trump is as surprised as anybody that he's president of the United States right now. Kim? <laughs> I agree with them. I still think when it, com it, it comes down to this, if gas is three fifty or $4 a gallon four years from now, if the cost of me buying milk is a, is fifty cents to a dollar more a gallon than it than it than it is right now four years from now, you see where I'm going with that? You're asking which circumstances yeah. will yeah. intervene? Yeah, yeah. at yes. some point yeah. that that is when it goes from. And this is this is where my I, I just I spent so many years doing sports talk radio. I've seen this dynamic before, where the where the coach's persona buys a certain amount of time and a distraction from the results on the field or on the court. But then after a few seasons go by, if the team's not playing better. Then, it, then you know, the fact that my coach is stoic on the sidelines, it's no longer I really appreciate how calm and composed my coach is. He's not a jerk face like yours. It is, this guy's got no fire. He's flat. No wonder the guys suck every night. They're taking their cues from the coach who just stands there like a, lump, a bump on a log. Or if it's the coach is losing his mind, throwing chairs, pulling his hair out, you kind of think, hey, our coach is fired up, man. He's passionate. And then if your team sucks over the next two or three years, you're like, you know what, man? No wonder our team's undisciplined. No wonder they make all these stupid mental mistakes. They're taking their cue from the coach who's out there and can't keep his cool. So what, what, what kind of an example is that? You see where I'm getting at? I think it's fun now. I think it will give him more rope than somebody who didn't bring the sideshow aspect. I think Shannon's diagnosis of the culture is spot on. But sooner or later, it needs to be about me. And what I want. Sooner or later. Now, that may not come in 2020. Didn't come for Obama in 2012. But if you look at the Gallup poll numbers of where Americans think we are on the issues, it's coming now. If you look at the results of who didn't vote on November 7th, it came then. Sooner or later, people want the results to be about them and not your act. Let's get to exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being not at all and 10 being the wind beneath Trump's wings, how much is the media really helping Trump? Kim? I'll go um, a full 10, but it could, um, it could backfire against Trump. Eight. Shannon, quickly, what's the number, one to 10? Um, I would give it an eight or a nine. Kim, quickly, tell me why you think it could backfire. Well, because he has to deliver. I mean, he has to have you, some transparency. The point that I was just kind of exactly. making. Exactly. Sooner, sooner or later. It, sooner or later, it wears off if, if you listen, don't if, deliver. If the team is winning, you can treat the media like dog meat, right? Yep. But if the team is losing... Then I don't care if you're nice to the media, mean to the media. It makes me mad because the team is losing. That's why I think right now the answer is a 25. <laughs> On a scale of one, I mean, they're his constituency. There is get out the vote effort. That's why I labeled it the wind beneath his wings. There would be no Trump without them. Predictions are next. You're listening to Steve Dace.
your daily truth project. This is Steve Dace. And we're back one final time here on the Dace Group Roundtable, your weekly look at the week that was here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. So we spent this entire hour taking a look back. We will now close it out by taking a look ahead. It's time for predictions. Kim, you're up first. All right. This might be low-hanging fruit, but... um, Better not be. Goldman Sachs stocks... I punish all low-hanging fruit (laughs) predictions with punitive damage on this show. Goldman Sachs stocks are going to continue their upward trend with... um, The Secretary of Treasury has a confirmation hearings next week, and um, I think his name is Mnuchin. Mnuchin. uh, Mnuchin. It's going to continue its upward trend. I mean, November 8th, it was $181, and now it's 245 There might be a slight dip around the confirmation time, but it'll continue Making its globalist cucks great again. There you go. You know they're partying over there at, in the secret cabal at the Ted Cruz home there in Houston in the basement when Heidi gets together secretly with the heads of the Council on Foreign Relations. They are ecstatic to see not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six. Six. Six of their former Goldman Sachs global co-conspirators have been rewarded by Trump's swamp drainage. I'm sure they're high-fiving over there in Heidi Cruz's secret uh, cabal. Todd, your prediction this week? Well, Donald Trump is inaugurated on the 20th, correct? Yes. One week later, in Washington, D.C., is the annual March for Life. In a move of raw political theater, Donald Trump will himself, as president, march in the March for Life. I don't believe a president has shown up physically since Reagan. You know what kind of cover that George would buy him? I don't think George W. Bush ever showed up. He would send messages or videos, but I don't think he ever showed up. I can see that happening. I'd like that. That would be that would be a mic drop move. Agreed, if he did that. Uh, Shannon, your prediction for the, for the week or the, or the time to come, not necessarily this week. Yeah, it's a little more general. I think we're going to see something along a, a, a new term, repeal in name only. I think two of uh, Trump's biggest promises during the election to repeal Obamacare and to repeal Common Core are going to happen, but in name only. We're going to see some political theater over the next few months. Uh, they are going to pretend to repeal them, uh, but they, uh, for all intents and purposes, will leave both intact. Now, before we let you go, tell our audience, if they like what they heard this hour, how they can learn more about you quickly. Uh, anyone can listen to my program live for free via the Shannon Joy app. So just go to your iPhone or Android, download it to your phone. You can listen live for free. And I'm on from noon until 1 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. I look forward to uh, talking to your audience more, Steve. Thank you. You're welcome. That's Eastern time. All right, here's my prediction. This week's NFL playoff winners, I'm taking all the home teams, New England, Kansas City, Atlanta, and Dallas. And, yes, I know I'm picking home favorites Except in the case of Kansas City, who's a home underdog. I'm picking chalk. You know, I hate to do that because that's an upset for me to pick chalk. I can't stand it. But I think the weather's going to work against Pittsburgh's offense in Kansas City. I would have picked Green Bay over Dallas. But the injury to Jordy Nelson, I think, is devastating. And I don't think it's a coincidence that as Jordy Nelson's knee began to come around, you saw Aaron Rodgers' numbers explode at the exact same time. It is true. Hour three is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. 
government should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings, back with our three of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Coming up later in this hour, some Feedback Friday. Still time to get yours in. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is three questions, and that's when, this week at least, Kim gets to ask three questions about any three things. There is nothing off limits. People are enjoying the questions for the most part that you are asking, by the way. I continue oh, wait, to get positive wait. feedback on there that. Was a, for the most part... Yeah, for the most part. Because <laughs> oh, I'm, okay. I'm sure somebody out there doesn't like it. Oh, I'm sure. And I just I want to make sure that I don't. Right. Know, I'll kick my coverage. Oh, I got it. You know what? Here's. Here, would you prefer this? These were the best questions. You've never had questions like these before. Oh no, I wouldn't. You're going to get so sick and tired of all these great <laughs> questions that 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 you're just you're just not going to want any more questions. It's like yeah. Trump. So much excellence. <laughs> yes. Tremendous. No, I would hate that. You, you would hate that. I would okay. hate that. Okay, All go right, ahead. So Kim can ask us anything she wants. She just has to answer the same questions too. Okay. So in my family, um Grandma Althea Ethel May would say have these sayings, right? And um like one of them is she's a dumb cluck. Different things like that would just make us laugh, and you just know she's going to say something like that. So in your family, if I ask them, what is it that you say, either it's funny or you just repeat yourself, what is it that you're repeating at home? Um, oh, wow. Uh, the, the, the kids like don't pee on me and tell me it's raining. Uh, they, they like that one. Mm-hmm. They, they like that one a lot. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but uh, I... They like that one a lot at my house, Todd. What about at yours? Wow, I don't know that I have a shtick like that, and it's kind of conscious, like around my kid. I, not the fun part, I get, but you know, just in terms of the the dad thing, I, I guarantee you say something that they well, go. No, but oh. it's, we're talking about lines, like yeah, yeah. standard go tos. Uh, I'll give them to you if I. Um, I mean, go, Kim. I'll keep thinking, but do you have them? Um. Well, I have one that's. Um, what am I? Chop liver. I say. I guess I say that frequently. And then the other one is. Um, I so that's l- not like an original thing. That's, no, it's that's not original at all. No, that, yeah. That's, that's been around. And for then a long the other time. one is I love water. Not like to drink, but I mean anything. Water sports. Watching the water. Storms coming over the water. That's just kind of a thing for me. Okay, I got, I got one. Uh, that I, doesn't scream old wives' tale to me, or curmudgeonly no, saying either. When my girls. Thank you. When my girls step over the line of goofy to stupid, I tell them, stupid isn't fun. It's never fun. <laughs> so stop it now. Stupid isn't fun. Now that Todd goes there, I, one of the things that, I say, that I've said in my home all along is um, I have, there is one rule, to, one rule in my home to rule them all. 
do not disturb the peace of my home. Do not disturb the peace of my home. And I am, a, I am the king. And I am a benevolent king. And I like to give away all of my vast riches. Provided you do not violate my one rule, do not disturb the peace of my home. Now, what does that mean? You disrespect your mom. That disturbs the peace of my home. Because if she's not happy, that's going to make me unhappy. And now you're going to be unhappy. Uh, if if I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I don't have high drama uh, tweens or teenagers in my home. Just not, not permitted. I'm not going to be the dad who comes home at work, from work after a 16-hour day and wonders, well, I wonder what mood my 15-year-old's in. Nope. Nope. Because when I have to start wondering that, you're going to master the words to Rapunzel, Rapunzel, let your hair down. Because I'll board you in your room till you're 18. We'll slip a tray under the door. Because you will not, you will not disturb the peace of my home. You will not. Remember when Anna was about uh, 11 or 12 years old, we were at a mall having, at a, on a daddy-daughter date, we were having this conversation, and she was watching some teenagers at the mall basically just act up and act like idiots. She's like, how do you know that I'm not going to act like that? And I said, because I'm your dad. And she said, well, why do they act like that? I said, because I'm not their dad. So don't disturb the peace of my home. Is that, does that curmudgeonly enough for you? <laughs> Is that more along the lines of what you were looking for? No, it's whatever you guys do. Okay. Um, that got deep, man. It did. Um, second question. You know, I have a libertarian leaning, um, and I don't necessarily want to do any kind of banning of certain things, but if you could, what would you ban? It could be a, th- you know, I, whatever. Instant replay. I knew Good that Lord. one. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I said happy 2017 everybody (laughs) it only took I don't know less than two weeks all right I'm juking you now for that I'm juking you I'm banning I'm banning the killing of innocent children if there's one thing I could ban nice I'm banning that best juke ever you don't get to juke you don't get to kill little kids you don't get we don't get to kill the innocent uh among us and the defenseless among us that's what I'm banning if I only got to ban one thing it would be that oh yeah I mean how do you follow that um Yes, that. And um, I was going to say I would ban yoga pants. I think that that violates just a basic level of intimacy. It's like, do you want to look at that? No. No, I do not. I mean, that I, yoga pants have got to go. I think some people she's are going to put up a mild fight at the very least on that. She's, she's not male, is she? No. No. All right, question number three. Okay, um... What would others cons- consider? They look at your life or what you're doing, and they would consider it a dude code violation, and in my case, a woman code violation. I'm going to let you start this time. Oh, I've got so many. I mean, I just violate things left and right. Um, so Christian women said I violated the woman code by running for office and drinking my coffee black, which evidently is how men do it. Um, liberals, I violated the code because I took my husband's um, last name and I stayed home. Um, but if I would look at it, mine is that I am not a decorator. I am not a scrapbook creative memories person. And for the longest time, I thought I had to be. And I, okay, you'll feel my husband's pain, but I took over the pool table and laid it all out with all this stuff. And thankfully, he just said, you know, maybe that's just not your thing. Todd? Dude code violations. I'm very, very proud right now. 
as humble as I'm trying to be, I can't think of a dude code violation. You have four daughters. You don't have a single dude code violation. Well, well, you don't have to by definition. Uh, Was it a dude code violation? You tell me. Was it a dude code violation when I said I like to sit down and watch women's soccer with them? Maybe that's the answer. If I was doing that by myself. I would say no. It's not a violation. It's fun. It's borderline. <laughs> he's he's on, reaching for the flag. D- d- I am. I am. I'm, I am considering. <clears throat> pardon me. I am considering your past performance in this matter, whether to just decide it's within enough of a gray area to let this one slide. Right. It's one of those things where okay. In your case, given your overall performance, you let this one slide. But if anybody else had a, a couple of violations of the due code, that could be that that absolutely would make things worse. For me, um, one, I've always thought, and I know this argument's like 15 years old now, I always thought the whole argument between Shakespeare in Love and Saving Private Ryan, which movie was the right one to win Best Picture that year, having seen them both, I've always thought they made the right choice. I always thought Shakespeare in Love was a better movie than Saving Private that Ryan. That was an incredible year, too. Goodwill Hunting was yep. on that list. That, uh, a lot of guys would consider that probably a dude code violation, but you know i got to stick with my intellectual honesty. And, I mean, the fact that someone who I watched, that was my take one for the team movie for that year. The fact that a movie of, of, of that genre, I thought it was that good. To me, spoke to it must have been even greater than I thought for me to, to get me to like it. You know what I'm trying to say? I do. Another is when we, when Amy and I first got married, I, you know, my mom taught me how to cook, how to clean, do laundry. So I've always been the one that's taken a much more role on that. I don't like, I can't handle a certain level of, of dirt or 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 junk laying out in the house. Right. In fact, I had to teach Amy how to do laundry and cook a lot of things and those sorts of things. Now she's surpassed me on all that stuff now. But. I just thought of one. At movies, since you brought out movies, I uh, tend to cry at movies easier than my wife. I mean, not sobbing, but tears. See, I don't think those are dude code violations, And depending on the movie. Well, exactly. What's the movie? It, it does not happen at Chick Flicks. Okay. That, see, that's, see, that's, that's when it becomes a dude code violation. The nightly buzz is next. Keep trying, Todd. You're listening to Steve Dace. Where nine black-robed masters don't get to become their own self-appointed constitutional convention. The Steve Day Show. For something completely different. We need to have a talk about it. An excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. This is the Nightly Buzz here on the Steve Day Show. We take a look back at some of the headlines we missed earlier in the program that are worthy of us discussing. Based on what's trending on your social media at your water cooler, we've got the headlines and the hot takes, and we begin here. A story in the New York Times this week about the March for Life avoided all references to the March for Life. The New York Times ran a 700-plus word report 
on Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway's plan to address the annual gathering of pro-life activists. And instead of referring to it as the March for Life twice, the New York Times referred to it as, quote, an anti-abortion march, unquote. Despite the fact the report's author, Cheryl Gay Stolberg, when this was pointed out by Ryan T. Anderson of the Heritage Foundation, the bias of this story, the reporter, Cheryl Gay Stolberg, claimed on Twitter in response to Ryan T. Anderson that the original version of the article she submitted on deadline referred to the March for Life as the March for Life. She claims, quote, sometimes copy editors change things while you are eating dinner, unquote. Which to me would seem to indicate something even worse. Because when the reporter herself described the event and labeled it correctly, and then once it gets up to the chain of command and it goes through the editing mill and it gets changed there, Todd, you and I have both spent years in, in working in a newsroom, you more than me, because I, I got out before you did. But this would seem to indicate a stylistic demand, which is, a, which is an institutional decision. Would you not say so? Yeah. To me, this is worse, because let's face it if, it, if a biased reporter writes about this march, how many copy editors of the New York Times even probably know what she's referring they, they don't, probably, because they're not, not in our world. They don't care. They've never covered it before. But the fact the reporter put it in correctly and then the desk there in the news department of the New York Times changed it from that point forward, that, insti- that to me indicates something institutional, doesn't it? Yes, and this happened to me. I-, I was, for a time, made the religion reporter at the Des Moines Register when there hadn't been one for, for years. And I uh, was supposed to write features, but on occasion, a religion-dominant story, I would take that over. And it quickly became clear that the story I would write went to the editor, and it was absolutely gutted. I am absolutely confident it wasn't biased. I am absolutely confident I had the facts nailed down. Uh, But they realized pretty quickly, oh, yeah, he's going to be serious about this thing. This bone we threw him, yeah, we don't like it. So, really, it was a matter of months where I was no longer the religion reporter. Uh, This is what happens. And furthermore, one more thing. We have got to take... As holy writ, when a man looks us in the eye, puts on a dress, and says, I'm a woman, we have got to accept that. But a march that draws a million, well, I don't know for sure, thousands of people every year to Washington, D.C. in the bitter cold of January can't call itself what it wants to? You people are a joke. Are you surprised that this reporter actually outed their own editor? I am. I am. And frankly, I'm surprised that as of the time we went on the air tonight, she is not a former reporter. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what surprises me the most about this story. I mean, props to her. Right. Props to her for saying, hey, my reputation is not taking a hit for this. I'm not the one who did this. That's what's great about social media as a journalist, because they expect you, you, right? They want you to go out and have a personality now, and that means regularly interacting. So as long as you're shrewd about this, you can protect yourself with social media in a way that you couldn't before it existed. According to a column in The Independent, actor Ryan Gosling's Golden Globes acceptance speech was, quote, sexist because he thanked his wife, Ava, Ava, Menendez, Ava Mendez, for her hard work taking care of their family at home while he was away working. The author, Narjaz Zatat, claims that Ryan Gosling is some sort of sexist monster because he, was, he said he was grateful 
that Mendez was, quote, raising our daughter pregnant with our second and trying to help her brother fight his battle with cancer, unquote, while he was filming La La Land. Kim, your thoughts on this? No. I find it to be completely um, in error. I think it's fantastic that he recognizes his wife in that manner. I, I, who wouldn't love to have their, you know, their husband um, lift up how important it is and how much he knows it's important that you're taking care of the children? I mean, why would you denigrate that? Yeah, that's it. My, this ticked my wife off when I told her about this. Yes. So why isn't it the default for people listening to this story is why... Again, go back to what I said before. All the choices at the point of a government gun, I have to gun. I have to respect. You, it's beyond you to expect that she might, after have had a very successful career, might want to segue into being this thing called a mom, which is the, in my estimation, the best thing that God's ever allowed me to take part in. I, I just can't wrap my mind around where someone else's mindset is at, that that is their immediate, pardon me, that is their immediate impulse in response to this. I I just, how self-loathing do you have to be? How misguided do you have to be? I just, of all the places to make your egalitarian stand, that is it. And as you pointed out, Todd, This woman has a resume of her own. It's not like she is some celebrity wife lurking in the shadows no one ever sees. She has a resume of her own. She's had accomplishment. This guy didn't need guts. He would follow up and he would call her up and see what she thinks about her status in life. I hope she would say, stick it where the sun don't shine. Perhaps as equally mind-numbingly dumb, Hollywood star and activist Ashley Judd wants media companies to issue, quote, standard issue, unquote, black emojis as a way of combating what she describes as, quote, white privilege, unquote. Now there's somebody in Hollywood who should never work again. What does this even mean? I'm not an emoji user. Sorry, I'm a 43-year-old male. All right, so I'm not even an emoji user. I, I, I might even still do that smiley sign from 2003 when I try to when I when I send something to somebody and I want to make sure they don't know they don't take it the wrong way. So I'm not I'm not an emoji guy. So tell me what standard issue black emojis even are. What what are those? If you have any time to complain about such a thing, you have no real problem. See, Todd, that was a test. From the previous segment on dude code violations. <laughs> and I thought you were going to pass when you were silent there for a good second and a half. I thought you were going to stay silent, and I was then going to look at you and say, man to man, that's the right answer. Huh? I got nothing. You asked me about emojis. My computer just, sh- my, in- my inboard computer just shut down. I don't have an answer. Yeah, I just said no. Mm-mm. But th- Todd does have a point here. Kim, where do you have to be in your life? That this what, is it? Yeah, this what, is... Wouldn't you love to have the leisure time available that you thought to yourself, man, somebody's got to do something about That's this. some kind of privilege right there. You want to talk about white privilege when I've got the time to worry about standard issue black emojis. You're listening to Steve Dace.
making all the right enemies. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Let's get to some feedback that you've sent to us via Facebook. If you like us there, you can also do so via Twitter at Steve Dace Show if you want to follow us there. Or just email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. This is from Ben, who says, I got to tell you, man, I'm not a reader at all. But I sucked it up, and I bought your book, A Nefarious Plot, yesterday. And I have to tell you, I've not gotten much done at work. I'm well over a third of the way through. This book is awesome. Ben, appreciate that. That's very kind of you. Let us know what you think when you get to the end. Because you haven't even gotten to the really bad stuff yet. Uh, Ryan says, I was listening to your conversation this week with Matt Walsh. And this past month, I was unable to spend a significant amount of time with my kids while I remodeled our kitchen. And it was amazing to see the corrosion of my kids' attitudes during that time frame. They were much more emotional, quarreled more, and were much more taxing on my wife. It's been less than a week since I finished the kitchen. And I've been able to devote the time since then to my family. The transformation in the kids have, has been amazing. It is humbling to see the impact my involvement or lack thereof has on my kids, on my kids. which causes uh, my heart to ache for all the poor kids out there whose fathers are largely non-existent in their lives. Uh, that is from Ryan. That is, that is well said, Ryan. And, you know, there was one time in my life I noticed something similar. And several years ago before we got into syndication when I was still doing local radio, the opportunity to earn some extra money uh, doing a morning drive sports uh, talk show uh, as well with one of my best friends came up. And I thought, boy, that's a tough schedule. Morning drive, afternoon drive, you're burning the candle at both ends. But I thought, you know what, though? My buddy and I just sit on the phone doing this, shooting the breeze for free. Sure, I'll get up a few hours extra early. I'll drive in, you know, if they want to pay me to essentially just show up and uh, you know, take the phone conversations my buddy and I do and put them on the radio. That's easy money, right? So yeah, I'm all over it. And while schedule-wise, it wasn't that big of an issue for me, it didn't take much. A few months in, man, I could really see the difference in our kids, similar to what Ryan is describing. And that's why several months in, actually it was just as we were getting ready to start football season when it was going to be really fun to do it. That is when I sat down one weekend with the wife and I said, what is going on here? And she's like, you're not here enough. And I went in on Monday and I said to our bosses, I, I got to let that other show go. Even though it's easy money for me, it's a lot of fun to do it. I, I just, I saw the impact of me not being there on a, on a regular basis. I saw the impact that it had. And it didn't take very long, Todd, for me to notice it. Yeah. And you also miss simple joys. Uh, my daughters all do um, pretty well at school. But last night, my oldest daughter came home and she had some uh, uh, beginning algebra uh, issues that she needed me to sit down and go with her. And, you know, having to do that every single night, that would be rough. But it it was fun. Last night, you know, to to engage in that, the, the simple pleasures, you you, you got to mind those. That, I mean, ultimately, that's what life is. It was well said, Ryan. Do you get offended as a woman, Kim, when someone says that the guy's got the man's got to be there more? Does that offend you? Does that does not that offend your initial instinct at all? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Or are you of the mindset that uh, we really could use the help? I'm of the mindset that we are um, gifted in different ways and that we're um, necessary part of a well-developed and healthy child. 
So, no, I'm not offended at all. You know, they have this saying now in the NFL that the best ability is availability. That, you know, teams can become so ravaged by injuries that it doesn't matter how talented you are. If you can't, you don't take care of your body or you're just one of those people that maybe you do and some people are just prone to injury, right? Um, That you can't help your team. No matter how fast you run, how strong you are, if you can't put, if you can't play, there's, it's a pointless exercise. And I think that applies to the conversation we're having here. Because I know a lot of guys listening to me right now, I know because I'm one of you. You'll have, you'll, you're going to believe that the number one thing your family needs from you is a good living, is a nice house. And those things are nice. But the reality is the number one thing your family needs from you is availability. That's the number one thing they need. Doesn't mean they don't need those other things or want those other things and there's not a place for those things. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be a good provider. Doesn't mean you shouldn't strive to be successful. Show a good work work ethic to your children to model that, to teach them, uh, you know, reward for hard, you know, hard work has a, is its own reward. Uh, meritocracy, those things are great. But there's a priority level here. And the number number one priority is availability. If you're not available then the need and desire of all those other things is irrelevant at that point. And I think that's something that a lot of men need to keep that in mind. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. He didn't promise you'd like him. He just promised to tell you the truth. This is Steve Dace. All right, let's continue on a Feedback Friday here on the Steve Dace Show on the Salem Radio Network. And again, if you have some feedback you'd like us to respond to, steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. At Steve Dace Show. This is from Ronald Babcock. He says, Steve, you are a dangling participle. Are you smoking medical marijuana during your radio broadcasts? When has an American president ever been compared to God? You guys have never seen any examples of, of messianic... We didn't just see this in the guy we just... We're just getting rid Isn't of right now. Isn't there a song for Obama somewhere? I mean, they were singing carols, hymns. He was going to save us. People pledging their allegiance to him. I'm, I, I think there's some precedent for there, people ascribing messianic attributes to the president of the United States. We've been living it. The cover of either Time or Newsweek when Obama was reelected was his there face. Was a halo, wasn't and it there? said the yes. second coming. Yes. Anyway, let's, let's just continue with Ronald's email. But uh, he says... Um, Trump's cabinet picks indicate strong conservatism. Did you fail to notice that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I like several of his picks, but, you know, one of them said Roe versus Wade's the law of the land. Another one said that, um, uh, that you know, he's a huge fan of exporting abortion worldwide and um, uh, that, you know, homosexual scoutmasters are a good thing. So, and he believes in climate change, which is a scam. But, okay, um, 
Did you fail to notice that Trump has burned all of his bridges with the left? Which bridges were those? I don't know. I'm asking. Which which bridges has he burned? It seems to me, actually, the left is the one burning the bridges here, if you ask me. I mean, if you look at some of of Trump's picks, um, like Tillerson, that's a pick that Clinton could have made. Not going after um, Hillary Clinton. Uh, He's not going to lock her up. That was certainly an olive branch. It seems to me the left is the one that's burning the bridges here. Yeah, they, they, they've had such a come, let us reason together vibe lately, haven't they, Steve? Indeed. I mean, they, they seem to be the ones that are um, that are burning bridges, but okay. Well, and even the cabinet picks are breaking with Donald Trump's own policy positions. Uh, Ronald says liberals would never accept him as one of their own. They might make nice with him in an effort to get what they wanted, but they'll always hate him. That doesn't tell me anything. That's that's a the enemy of my enemy is my friend philosophy. That that might be true in an instance. I mean, but but that's that's I'm I'm not defined by what I'm against, right? I mean, we made an alliance with Joseph Stalin to win World War II. Did that mean we were suddenly communists? Is that what it meant? Or did we just see him as a means to an end at the time? Trump has to roll with conservatives because he has nowhere else to go. I hope that's true. We'll see. Oh, sure, Trump could become a Susan Collins-like moderate, but Trump has never done anything in moderation. Okay. Um, Except moderate ideology. (laughs) I mean, he's been... He's moderated his ideology quite a bit. We're going to build a wall. Maybe we're not. Yeah, we are. I don't know. We're going to move the embassy. No, we're not. We're going to defund Planned Parenthood. They should be prosecuted, and maybe would they do great things. Those are some moderations. But I do want to give Ronald something, and that is that overall they're better picks than what we would have gotten under Clinton. I have said that many times. Exactly. But again, what, so you're what, right, what's Ronald, the, that, on that. that. That's... Let's see what the results but that, are. But that's picks. also a fairly low bar. Right? I just reject this premise that I that's... am defined by the by Marxists who want to ruin America. Anything anything be better than that is is good. Exactly. Just because it better yep. may not be good. Many conservatives don't say so. So what's the source of the disagreement here with Ronald? We're gonna get to it here right now. He writes: Many conservatives don't maintain the same degree of religiosity that you do. They also believe in the separation of church and state. See, this is what's, what this is really about. See, Ronald, your idea of con- conservative isn't the same as mine. We're not on the same team. We're not. You're not trying to conserve the same things that I am. Just because you have a disdain for political correctness, and I share it, just because we may be against the same things doesn't mean we're for the same things as well. Now, I know this is not the MO in our movement. A lot of uh, the MO in our movement is if you're against Democrats, then you're with us. I don't know. I know lots of people that didn't vote for Hillary because she wasn't left enough. They're with us, too. I don't think so. He says many people also, they also believe in the separation of church and state. See, I'm trying, see, that's again where you and I are different. I'm trying to conserve the Constitution. You're not, because those words are never in there. Many people also do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. How would you know it is the right thing to do? By what standard would you know? What's right and what's wrong? How do you know this on your own? 
And if you do, where do you get off imposing your limited, narrow-minded version of what's right and what's wrong on me? Why should I follow you? So please stop soothsaying and start talking about things you know and understand. If religion is all you know and understand, a church is a better forum for your discussions. Do you notice the smarminess? Do you notice the disdain? If, I, if I'd only read the last half of this email, and none of the stuff at the beginning, but if I only had read the last half, who would you have thought this email was from? Somebody from the Transgender Bathroom Brigade? Yes, you would have thought this came from the uh, dispatches from the Rainbow Jihad. See, this is the danger of being defined by what you're against. You never advocate what you're actually for. In Ronald's mind, because people he don't like, he doesn't like, but great grammar there, because people he doesn't like don't like Donald Trump at the moment, when for the previous 60 years of Donald Trump's life, they've loved him, actually. But, but until now, until he became a Republican and became uh, their nominee, they, they started to hate him instantly. So now, because they don't like him, he does. And that's fine. I know a lot of you are wired that way. I'm not. I'm for whoever's what I'm for at any given time. But I'm, I'm, I'm not for somebody just because they're against what I'm against. Just because you're against what I'm against does not mean you are for what I'm for. Ronald, Mr. Babcock here, you're not for the same things I'm for. That being said, I hope you find the show entertaining. You continue to listen, but 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 you and I aren't on the same team. That's why we disagree. You're listening to Steve Dace. truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help us god the steve day show all right back here on the steve day show powered by conservative review on the salem radio network we have come to the end of tonight's program first of all kim you did a great job filling in for aaron well, this week you. on the air and todd for those of you that don't know, Todd was filling in for Aaron behind the glass. He did fantastic. And, I mean, you did a great job, uh, both of you, all week long. So Thank made, you. made me think that I'm perhaps paying Aaron too much money, and him and I will have that conversation when he comes back. <laughs> so what else did we learn here other than Aaron is overpaid? What else did we learn here tonight, uh, ladies and gentlemen? Kim, I'll start with you. Well, I want to go to the, um, the article that you talked about, the Washington Examiner, saying basically Donald Trump can change the narrative or at least – attempt to um, be more truthful and forthright with regard to why his positions on Putin tend to be a little bit um, soft. So it'll be interesting. I, I think everyone should go and look at that again. I just briefly uh, want to get a word on a Ronald, correct? Yes. yes. With all the legitimate complaints we do have about uh, the Rainbow Jihad and company and all those progressive usurpers, Ultimately, though, they gain ground because of people like Ronald, who have forsaken our uh, constitutional heritage with nonsense bumper stickers like I believe in uh, separation in church and state. That, that is thin gruel, 
and it is deserving of a loss. That's why 2016, whatever 2017, if it's as bad or worse, becomes, it is on those of us who put this country on cruise control because we started believing lies like this. And sooner or later, that center will not hold. So, Ronald, buck up, do a little actual reading instead of emoting, and come around before it's too late. I mean, the very theistic worldview Ronald disdains while claiming to be a conservative is what we're trying to actually conserve because it's what made us free in the first place. For people like Ronald Babcock, the reason you're putting up with an all-powerfully or at least an allegedly all-powerful government all up in your business is because you have uh, replaced government with God. Because you have no long, you you're not conserving notions of God-given rights. Uh, that 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 we are um, we are we are called to be free under divine accountability, and as long as we don't impose our freedom on somebody else's freedom, then it's nobody else's business. That that's what founded the country. That, that's that's what you should be trying to conserve. But if the argument is I'm I'm my own boss, I can do whatever I want whenever I want. And there is no higher authority for me to be accountable to. And, and I know what's right to do. I don't need some uh, you know, divine mystery or magically thinking deity to reveal it to me. If that's the way you're thinking, well, congratulations. That's the exact worldview of what you're up against. See, a lot of people think because they disagree with the results of somebody's worldview, they're on the same team. No, the result does not determine which team you're on, but the premise you start from. John 3.17. Listening to Steve Dace.